Hello and welcome back to Kyle's Internal Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be discussing The Lady of the Lake, Chapter 1. We are now on the final uh, book of the Witcher Saga as it was originally intended. Uh, we will be covering, right after this, the short story that's not canonical, Something and Something Begins, and then, of course, going on to the prequel, uh, which, uh, Season of Storms, which was written many, many, many years after the fact. Um... But this is the this is the big finale. Original plan was to cover chapter one and chapter two together, not only as a taste for how I'm going to be covering Season of Storms, because Season of Storms has much shorter chapters, and therefore I'm going to be covering multiples at the same time. Uh, but also uh, because this this chapter uh, chapter one is only a few pages long. Uh, however, uh, due to some technical difficulties, I made the executive decision to go ahead and do it, do just chapter one by itself, because while it is a short chapter and it's mainly a prologue to what is to come, uh, ironically, it's a prologue and an epilogue because it, it, it's chronologically at the end of the story and is Siri reflecting on things. I think it's interesting to talk about the connection we have now. It's been present since the very first uh, short stories, uh, but it's really clear now because we have a literal King Arthur character, an Arthurian character, with us, Sir Galahad. So there is... Th this chapter is, you know, uh, Ciri being mistaken as the titular Lady of the Lake, who in... Uh, Certain uh, certain revisions to the Arthurian legend was sometimes called Nimue or Nimu, depending on how the particular area pronounced it. Uh, we will have a character. We've already met a character named Nimue uh, back in uh, Baptism of Fire, and she will become a mainstay in this book. But, um, you know, it, it, it's funny because we have the literal Lady of the Lake um, in... Uh, in the game adaptations. Then we have the the metaphorical Lady of the Lake in Nimue uh, in the books, and Ciri, who's, who is perceived as the Lady of the Lake by Sir Galahad. Um, I, I think that's a really fun idea in the, in the way he, he sets it up as a joke in here. Because Galahad comes upon Ciri while she's bathing in this enchanted lake, which... The way this chapter opens is a nice contrast to the way Tower Swallows opened its first chapter. The way Tower Swallows opened was very dark, very mysterious. And I talked about how this was a dark fairy tale, uh, you know, book. With this, it's, you know, it's not perfect, you know, it's not, but it is a, you know, an enchanted lake that conjures up sort of the ideas of a magical land, a magical fairy land. Um, you know, from classic fairy tales, much brighter, kinder, sort of the Disneyification of uh, of classic fairy tales that most people have. This is still The Witcher, so it's still going to end in misery, and it's still going to be a very, uh, you know, a very, very dark tale. But it does have that, especially because I know what's coming, and I'm not going to get into all of it, even though some of it's spoiled by the games. I think it is worth holding off discussions on certain things until it happens, especially in this book. Um, but, uh, you know, that it, it provides this glimmer of hope at the end. Because if you know what's going on, and Siri warns us at the end of this chapter, it's not a happy story. 
if you were expecting a happy ending, you weren't paying attention to quote Game of Thrones. Um, this is this is a story that is a uh, you know a introspective um, and twisty look at classic fantasy tropes, at classic fairy tale tropes, uh, you know various different folklore and cultures, especially Slavic and Polish. But at the end of the day, it's also its own story, its own you know, mythos, in a way. The story of Geralt Syrian Yennefer is a powerful one to a lot of people, and especially me, who has a severe emotional connection to these characters and loves them deeply, that you, with the expectation of the genre, with the expectation of loving these characters, you expect an ending of kindness, of they all lived happily ever after. It's even the exact thing that the previously published short story that I'm covering later, Something and Something Begins, which is non-canonical, touches upon by literally giving them a happy ending, where Geralt and Yen get married, Ciri, you know, stays with them as their kid, you know, it's all fine and dandy and it's all wonderful and lovey-dovey, right? But that that's a non-canonical short story that I will cover later, even though it was already published before A Blood of Elves was even published. You know, I'm, I plan to cover it later for reasons that I will get into when I do cover it. But, you know, that is the that is the expectation of the genre, the expectation of the series. And then we had an homage to that in Time of Contempt, where Geralt and Yen discussed their future and their dreams together, and they effectively described the short story, Something Incentive Against. And... Here, we have Siri alone in a different world entirely, in our world in a way, our world slightly twisted, the world in which King Arthur existed, in which the Holy Grail actually existed, in which, you know, the Knights of the Round Table actually existed, and in which, you know, uh, fairies and dragons and blah 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 actually exist, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a world that is like ours, uses our terminology, Saxons, for instance, but is very much still a fantastical world and she is clearly not okay she's got blood on her shirt she clearly seems really upset when questioned about it and uh she describes you know coming here from rivia on a boat we'll get into that later obviously but you know she has to think about how to tell the story that galahad because it's so emotional to her, and as she said, you know, do not expect a happy ending. The story didn't even seem to have a beginning nor an end. It's still going on, but it's not a happy one. Uh, it doesn't end so well. And I, I think that it's it's a fun way to open our book, you know, with with a character at the end of her arc, at the end of the series, reflecting upon it and going, this story does not end. It cannot end until I'm in the ground, basically. But I've went through so much that I want it to end. And with the Arthurian connection, you have Galahad there. And Galahad is significant for a few reasons. Um, in I, I'm not the greatest Arthurian scholar. Uh, my parents are far better uh, at that. They wrote uh, essays on, on Merlin for my mom and King Arthur for my dad. Uh, many, many years ago, and they're very familiar with the legends and the ideas. I, 
uh, have a cursory knowledge from them and from, uh, you know, reading certain texts and whatnot, but I am not, like, the premature, you know, Arthurian legend. Neither is my parents, technically, because there are far more Arthurian scholars out there. But Galahad is the chosen one of the Knights of the Round Table. He was Lancelot's son. He was uh, born specifically to find the Holy Grail. He's the pure one. He's the bravest knight. He's the most pure knight. He is the virgin knight. He is the, the one who upholds the standards that all knights should be like. Uh, that, uh, you know, e even King Arthur and Lancelot fell, you know, down a, down a pit uh, and, and, and sort of lost their, their, their pureness. Galahad is incorruptible. He's perfect in every way. And he, in Arthurian legend, finds the Holy Grail because he's the only one that it will show itself to. Because he's pure, he's, uh, you know, he's perfect. He is the chosen one. And I think this is a really funny way in which Spakowski sort of lampshades and talks about, through a different lens, you know, you have this ancient folklore character of Galahad. Uh, who's, you know, you, the, the Arthurian legend is sort of a mix of different folklores from various different countries and sort of has some basis in certain areas and some and complete falsehoods in others, but, you know, it, it, it's sort of known globally for a reason. And, you know, Galahad, you know, is such a big ancient example of the Chosen One that you compare it to Siri, who is a postmodern chosen one a chosen one that recognizes all the falsehoods that being a chosen one is how no one can be perfect and you compare and contrast them just in this one scene you know galahad is very you know uh, you know bashful and very uh concerned for her honor and uh th there's that wonderful joke about when she submerges herself in water but then put pokes her sword above the water so it, it even plays into that the lady of the lake joke um, but like her first words to Galahad are swear words, you know, she's, you know, she's Siri. She's been through a lot and you know, her, uh, she's, uh, she may be a princess, but she hasn't been one for a very, very long time. Uh, and she, in many ways, she's a monster. She's, uh, she's the punisher. She's a witcher. She's a sorceress. She's chosen one. She is the child of the elder blood. She's all these things, but she's really just Siri. and Galahad, you know, in contrast, has all these names too. But what does Galahad mean outside of the Chosen One? We can say Ciri is all these things, but also she's just Ciri. And what that means to us, having watched her grow up, having followed her story for so long, Galahad being who he is, you know, is just the Chosen One, the man who will find the Holy Grail, the pure knight, the brave knight. Ciri is the, you know, is you know, a witcher, but she's also, you know, a princess, but she's also a sorceress, but she's, but she's also this frightened little girl. She's also this person who enjoys killing. She's also this person struggling with what's inside her, you know, the way in which she wants to choose her life, but then can't because of her destiny and all that stuff. So it, it's sort of the, the two versions of a chosen one standing side by side. And we will get more into that as they interact more throughout the chapters, especially near the end, as well as their uh, interactions in uh, Something and Something Begins, which adds as an additional layer to that. And even though it was published beforehand, 
it is, you know, I, I want to cover it retroactively because of a particular thing in it. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a solid prologue chapter. As I said, original plan was to cover both chapters, but due to extraneous circumstances, uh, I had to do just the one. Um, and, you know, it, you know, it's just fun to take this chapter and, you know, even though it's so short, and just look at it as the building block of a lot of things. The Arthurian side of the Witcher has been around for so long, you know, has dated back to the earliest uh, short stories, uh, s small jokes here and there, um, you know, uh, or direct references, that when we get to here, um, it adds a new layer, and that layer will be built upon throughout this book. I mean, it is literally called the Lady of the Lake. So, you know, this is a sort of a, a merging of the two legends. Sipkowski's postmodernism, a, you know, sort of take on the fantasy genre, the, the introspective look on the fantasy genre, the deconstructionist view of the fantasy genre mixed with the more classical and how those two meet and how those intertwine uh, and what that means for both uh, pieces of literature. Um, it's a, it's a very solid prologue. Shame that I didn't get the cover on uh, the other chapter, but I'll see you next week for that. Uh, until then, bye. <laughs>